heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. There is a growing uneasiness in our country, a sense that even though the pandemic is largely over and the masks are fast becoming a thing of the past and things are slowly going back to normal, still, there is a sense that another shoe is about to drop. There's a lot going on in the world today, and we're going to talk about it. Welcome to this edition of The Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman, your guest host, and sitting in today for Malcolm Out Loud. You know, I've known Malcolm for years, and it's always an honor to be a guest host on his show. We've got a lot to talk about today, so saddle up and welcome to today's edition of The Voice of a Nation. This uneasiness I mentioned has been triggered by a number of things. A lingering feeling of concern related to our last two years of lockdowns and masking up, and the obvious miscalculations and misstatements and downright lies of Dr. Anthony Fauci and his colleagues, who were supposed to be guiding us through the pandemic and keeping us safe. And that's just the beginning of what may be causing us sleepless nights. As the economy comes limping back, the huge rise in the prices of things, the things we need most, food, medicine, and gasoline, for example, not to mention the dark forecasts of a looming recession. Who wouldn't be concerned? Because all of these threats are real. Inflation is here at something like 8%. And if it gets worse, it will create serious problems for most Americans. Not the uber-rich, of course, uh, but the rest of us, the middle and lower wage earners or the seniors among us who now have to live on their savings if they're lucky or manage to get by on Social Security and Medicare. But the uneasiness comes from more than just our personal sense of security or lack of it. It comes from the bad management at the top, from the White House with its shaky leadership and from Congress who have a penchant for spending our money on questionable projects and mortgaging the future of our children and grandchildren. It's okay, they say, we'll just print more money. And if that doesn't make you uneasy, I'm not sure what will, because it's quantitative easing or the policy of printing money when it's needed as a method of quickly increasing the money supply in order to stimulate economic activity. That's what's causing a lot of this inflation, the spending of money that we don't have. On March 15, 2020, the U.S. Reserve began a quantitative easing plan of more than $700 billion. Three months later, on June 10th, they extended the program and committed to purchasing at least $80 billion a month in treasuries, and $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities until further notice. This is nothing like securing the value of our currency with hard assets, such as gold, as we used to do. The U.S. dollar used to be pegged to the value of gold. 
And that was a standard practice. This gold standard was built into the framework of the Federal Reserve in 1913. But the stock market crash in 1929 led to a run on gold by frightened Americans who turned in their dollars, their paper dollars, for gold at an alarming rate. The economy slowed down to a crawl and the rush on gold caused banks to fail. The federal supply of gold was depleted and President Franklin D. Roosevelt issued a proclamation that formally ended the gold standard. He signed the Gold Reserve Act of 1934, which made it illegal for the public to possess most forms of gold. People who held gold, whether it was in coins, gold billion, or gold certificates, they were required to exchange their gold for paper money at a predetermined price, which was $20.67 an ounce. Imagine that. Then in 1944, as World War II was drawing to a close, an international conference was established to regulate the international financial order. The problem with this policy was that there was nothing to prevent the value of the dollar to fluctuate in value and eventually devalue as money supplies were inflated artificially. Today, our Congress has taken that policy to its logical extreme. Whenever they want to promote their local schemes and earmarks that are favorable to their voter base, they get the Fed to print more money. Simple. Only this is a trigger for rapid inflation because the value of the money goes down as the supply goes up. Look, economics is a complicated discipline, and I am clearly not an expert, not even close. But I recognize the inflation that we are facing today at over 8%, combined with shortages, supply chain issues. This is all creating hardships to most Americans who cannot afford the high price of gasoline and food and medicine and all the other necessities of life that are rapidly becoming unaffordable. So this rapid inflation in less than a year has caused a great deal of angst among Americans who struggle every day to make ends meet. And our government in Washington has failed in its duty to protect the American people from the harm that their irresponsible policies are causing that are destroying the lives of the people they are supposed to serve. Where is this going? You know, it's difficult to tell. I think, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. As long as we have greedy, irresponsible people at the helm of our government, the government in Washington, who promote foolish policies that put our citizens in harm's way, the economic situation in this country is likely to get worse, much worse. And for those who can't afford to stock up on essentials, who cannot afford the exorbitant price at the pump that would make it possible for them to get to work so that they therefore must quit their jobs, this is a vicious cycle that will only get worse. The coming recession seems inevitable. Many Wall Street gurus are predicting it. Only if the people who control the puppet strings of government get wise to the path we're on, only then will it be possible to make a correction in our direction. And a change of command in November's election 
will certainly make a difference. It will go a long way to changing the direction, the economic direction that we are going in now. Well, it's a hope. One of the most pressing and depressing situations in the world today is the war that Russia has imposed on Ukraine. It was unprovoked, hardly believable to the people of Ukraine only a few weeks before. And yet, significant parts of Ukraine now lie in ruins. Tens of thousands of Ukrainian men, women, and small children have died brutal deaths. And more than 5 million Ukrainian refugees have flooded the countries in Europe as well as the United States and Israel and others. Now the Russians have announced that they have conquered Mariupol, a major port city in eastern Ukraine. That's like saying they have conquered nothing. Because although this was a great city only a few weeks ago, there is virtually nothing left of it. It was, until two months ago, a vibrant, cultured metropolis full of life and hopes, hopes for the future. Today, thanks to the Russians, it is a pile of rubble, a junk heap, where life barely exists at all. Before Russia attacked Ukraine on February 24th, Mariupol was the 10th largest city in Ukraine. With an estimated population of nearly 432,000 people, Today it is empty and utterly destroyed. But the Russians haven't finished the job, having destroyed all the housing, the hospitals, the schools, the centers of culture that might have provided refuge. They are now aiming to destroy totally the one remaining place where hope still exists. The Azovstal steel plant in which was once the industrial area of Mariupol. This is where thousands of civilians and Ukrainian forces have been sheltering. There is a Chechen warlord and Putin ally named Ramzan Kadrov who posted this on Telegram. Quote, Tomorrow, or in fact today, before or after lunch, Azovstal will be in complete control of the Russian forces. Everything is ready. The strategies, the warriors. Unquote. And during a meeting with President Vladimir Putin on Thursday, it had been reported that Russian defense minister Sergei Shoigu said that 2,000 Ukrainian soldiers are currently posted at the Azovstal steel plant with Mariupol city council saying that 1,000 civilians are also inside. But on Thursday morning, local time, Putin called off the plan to storm the steel factory. Instead, he told troops to blockade the Azovstal steel plant, quote, so that not even a fly comes through, unquote. But here's the problem for Russia. Russia's defense minister reportedly told Putin that the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol could be taken in three to four days. But that's what they said about the war itself, that it would only take three or four days, and they would have all of Ukraine. And they are now nearing the end of their second month, and they're not even close to the end of this war. Intelligence sources report that in trying to capture the plant, Russian forces have already taken 4,000 casualties. And furthermore, 
that they do not have the forces or the equipment in place that they would need to succeed. So Putin has called for a ceasefire, and he's ordered his troops not to storm the plant, but to blockade it instead. But here's the bigger picture. Russia is trying to take the Donbass region of Ukraine, which is on the eastern edge of Ukraine, which includes Mariupol, but his senior military advisors are now telling him that the cost of this war is just not worth it. Wow. Ukraine is now receiving shipments of weapons and equipment, including planes, from countries throughout the world. On April 21st, Biden broke through his reluctance to be involved and announced that a new 800 million military aid package to Ukraine would be forthcoming from the United States. According to Press Secretary John Kirby, this package will include heavy artillery, including 72 155 millimeter howitzers and the tactical vehicles to tow them, 144,000 artillery rounds, more than 120 Phoenix Ghost tactical unmanned aerial systems, those are drones, and field equipment and spare parts. This commitment, together with the 18 155 millimeter howitzers announced on April 13th, provides enough artillery systems to equip five battalions with more tactical drones and ammunition to help the Ukrainian forces fight Russia in the Donbass. To date, American military aid to help the Ukrainian war effort exceeds $4 billion since Biden took office, and most of this occurred after the war for Ukraine began on February 24th. Another report also indicates that Ukraine is now expecting 150 MiGs within the week. This is what President Zelensky has been asking for all along when Biden refused to release them. Well, it seems as though he'll be getting them now. When Putin announced that he had scrapped plans to storm the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol, uh, he said that those who chose to surrender should be treated in accordance with international conventions. Putin ordered forces to blockade the plant. But according to the intelligence sources, that steel plant has 14 miles of underground tunnels from which the Ukrainian forces can attack the Russians. And these 14 miles of underground tunnels also serve as shelter. And there are 12 tactical battalions underground, each of which has a 1,000 Ukrainian soldiers who are now operating from these tunnels. And the tunnels also provide shelter for the thousands of civilians whom President Zelensky says are hiding there as well. And here's another thing. On April 20th, Russia's space agency successfully launched a Sarmat ICBM. It's also known in the West as Satan-2. It's very dramatic. According to Russian sources, the Sarmat is capable of delivering multiple nuclear warheads as far as the continental United States, 
and Putin suggested that the successful and dramatic test should, quote, give thought to those who are trying to threaten Russia, unquote. And while American experts say that this is more like saber-rattling than a real threat, it does raise new issues in the face of Biden's relatively weak responses to Russia's brutal incursion into Ukraine. And also, it may be a diversion from another subject which first appeared in a report on Newsmax and was later confirmed through highly reliable intelligence sources. A senior Ukrainian general reported that Russia has secretly moved 25 50 to 300 kiloton nukes into a weapons depot in Sevastopol, which is a port city and the largest city in Crimea. Are they bluffing? Using nuclear weapons as diversions in a global game of chess is beyond risky. It sounds like Russian roulette to me. Now, all of this makes the pandemic that we just went through somewhat tame. And what we went through was a cakewalk if you also compare it to what the Chinese Communist Party is putting the Chinese people through right now in the name of national health care. And that's what we'll be talking about next, right after the break. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud, and this is the Voice of a Nation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Listen to Malcolm, the Voice of a Nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both in the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. You've been in that situation. The person next to you is sniffling or worse yet, <coughs> coughing. Flu, cold, and coronaviruses are everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to reduce these threats with an invisible mask as an additional layer of protection? Sold by hundreds of pharmacists and medical doctors, our American-made povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray, Cofix RX, lasts for hours deactivating viruses and germs while protecting you from airborne pathogens that make us sick. America Out Loud listeners get 20% off. Use Cofix RX while in large groups, while traveling, or for any other type of high-risk situation as an additional layer of protection to help reduce your likelihood of catching a cold, the flu, or SARS-CoV-2 viruses. Right now, America Out Loud listeners get 20% off of all orders. Click our banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Did you think we had it bad during the pandemic? Masks, vaccines, mandates, proof of vaccination, or you can't fly? or ride the bus, or go to school, go to work, go to church. Take your mask off so you can eat, and you're out of here. Really? There was a lot of unhappiness, even anger, at all the restrictions. Our kids were at home all the time, and all of a sudden we were homeschooling. How did that happen? Isn't this supposed to be a free country? Welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman, and I'm sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud, your favorite host. As always, I'm glad to have this opportunity to sit with you and, and talk to you 
about some of the things that are going on in the world. We were talking about COVID and the terrible, terrible things that we had to endure over the last two years while all of the mandates were in force. Well, happily, that seems to be almost over, at least here in the U.S. Many other countries have already removed all of the mandates and mask requirements, and we seem to be moving in that direction, which is absolutely wonderful. But in China, where it all began, our mandates that we complain so vehemently about look more like after-school detention than life-altering restrictions, at least when compared to what Chinese citizens have to endure at the hands of their government. When the pandemic first appeared in Wuhan, China, the Chinese Communist Party, also known to friends and foes alike as the CCP, which is China's government, they forbade anyone to talk about it. One doctor who shared a warning with several of his colleagues in a private chat room about the new virus, he was chastised by the police and he died soon after from the virus. Videos soon appeared on websites that followed China that showed people suddenly collapsing right in the middle of the street and hospital corridors jammed with patients and their families shouting and pushing and struggling to get medical attention. The numbers of those who were infected and those who died from the virus would have been staggering if the Chinese had released them. But they fudged the numbers and because the custom in China is to cremate bodies after death, there was never any proof of the cause of death or even if someone had actually died. What we do know is that the crematoria, and there were 70 of them in Wuhan, were working around the clock seven days a week and processing at least 5,000 bodies a week. We know this because of the number of burial jars that were delivered regularly to the facilities. We also know that 21 million cell phones were disconnected in China during the worst of the pandemic. Since everyone in China has a cell phone and uses it like a credit card, it's how the government keeps track of them. 84,000 landlines also went off the grid. So when 21 million cell phones and 84,000 landlines just vanish in a country that tracks everything that its citizens do, when they just disappear from the grid during a massive pandemic, it isn't likely to be by chance. But then, the Chinese government doesn't want to talk about that. Their official number of dead from the virus is, are you ready for this? In a in a country with 1.4 billion people, the number of dead officially from the virus is 4,636. That would be ridiculous. It is ridiculous and unbelievable in such a huge country. The Economist estimates something like 1.7 million Chinese people, at least, died of COVID in China. So just as they wouldn't reveal the source of the virus and denied all requests to visit the virology lab where the virus almost certainly originated, we have to use other methods of finding out what really happened. They even kept much of this information from their ally at the UN's World Health Organization. But all evidence suggests that the virus was cultured in the level four laboratory known as the Wuhan 
virology lab from where, either accidentally or on purpose, it was allowed to escape. So the virus got out. Okay. It swarmed over Wuhan until the CCP locked down the entire Hubei province. They blocked all roads, bus lines, airlines to and from the province, but not before allowing 5 million people who live in this city of 11 million people to leave so that they could travel around the globe for the Lunar New Year. This was in the middle of an epidemic that they knew was dangerous and was killing their own people at an alarming rate. This was the second crime for which China is guilty. The first, of course, was developing this virus in the first place. The first country to fall deeply into the COVID trap was Italy, where the virus raged and the numbers grew rapidly. Until today, more than three quarters of a million people have died in Italy because of this virus. I'm lucky. I live in a state where they actually believe in freedom of choice, in just about everything. We never really shut down, although masks were either required or requested in most places for the better part of two years. Only one restaurant in our little town, which has nine restaurants, had to shut down. And altogether, life went on pretty much as usual. But in blue states, in New York State, for example, at least 15,000 seniors died from COVID because of the deadly and, in my view, criminal regulations that Governor Cuomo imposed on their senior living facilities. Or in California, where everyone had to observe the state's medieval pandemic rules, except, of course, for the governor and his family, who were free to dine and party with no masks and no social distancing and where the mayor of Los Angeles filled a skate park with sand so the kids wouldn't be able to skate, even in the open air, or in blue cities across the country where people had to wear masks everywhere and certain businesses had to close altogether unless, unless you were a supporter of BLM or defund the police movement or Antifa. Then you could demonstrate in the street by the hundreds with no six feet of social distancing and with no mask requirements for days or weeks. But as bad as it may have been for some of you, consider yourself lucky. Be glad you are still living in America and weren't born in China because this is what people of China are going through as their government imposes draconian measures to fight a single case of the virus. Here's the deal. China has imposed what they call their 0% COVID policy. That means that if there is one case in a city of 20 million people, the entire city goes into lockdown. And their lockdown is nothing like what we thought was awful. First you go home and close the door. And then you cannot come out for days or weeks. The government will tell you when you can come out. This is not your decision to make. You can't go out to buy food or see a doctor. In some cases, they actually seal the door so you can't go out. And in some cases, they take possession of your home so that they can use it for a quarantine facility. 
If you're lucky, they'll give you as much as two hours to get out, and then they may put you in a convention center with 50,000 beds, where you sleep beside thousands of strangers in rows of cots. The room is huge, no doubt noisy, the ceilings are high, the lights stay on all night, and you'll be lucky to find a hot shower. And you'll stay there for at least two weeks as long as you have no symptoms. Shanghai has a hundred such facilities. They were set up for people who test positive for COVID, but have no symptoms. Imagine that. It would seem to me that in such a situation where you have made room for five million such people, you might want to check the accuracy of your tests before you destroy so many lives. In short, the CCP wants to isolate every case of COVID, even though they are now dealing with Omicron, which in most cases seems to be a much weaker version of the original COVID, with few symptoms and mild symptoms. The city of Shanghai, with its population of 25 million people, was shut down on March 28th, and most of its population has been confined to their homes. There are shortages of everything and the prices are sky high and it's been reported that people are hanging out of their windows crying, help us, we're starving. There are also reports that donated foods from other parts of China are being sold to residents by the government and that loads of fresh vegetables are just being thrown into dump trucks rather than distributed to hungry residents. As in other parts of the world, corruption runs rampant in China, too, and people are suffering as a result. And here's an interesting tidbit. Shanghai authorities recently reported that there were nearly 73,000 new cases of COVID-positive tests in early April, although there were fewer than 12% of them with any symptoms at all. Nevertheless, if they tested positive, they had to spend two weeks in the huge quarantine facilities, even without any symptoms. NPR New England reported that, quote, China has sent more than 10,000 health workers around the country to aid the city, including 2,000 from the military, and is mass testing residents, some of whom have been locked down for weeks, unquote. I'll bet they're hungry. The truly bizarre aspect of all this is that China has more experience with COVID than any other country in the world. There is good reason to believe that they have known about this virus for quite a long time, a lot longer than we did, and that they have continued to work with it even after the pandemic attacked the rest of the world in early 2020. China has a 90% vaccination rate, but their vaccine is made in China and it's thought to be weaker than those that we have. So with all this experience, why can't they figure out, just by observing, if nothing else, that the lockdowns don't work? So far, they have locked down at least, at least 10 major cities, each with millions of people, even though they can see that other countries have learned to cope with the virus and its variants without these horrible lockdowns. So why haven't they? Where most countries are now reducing the level of their COVID hysteria and reopening their economies, China is doing the opposite. They're locking down. This raises the obvious question. 
If they know that the lockdowns don't work, if they know that their zero COVID policy doesn't work, why do they keep doing it anyway? Why do they keep locking down these huge cities with millions of people under the most inhumane conditions? And there's one more way that this shutdown is affecting China. It's not just that it's hurting the people. Its economy is being hit hard. Factories are closed because their workers are in lockdown. Shipments can't be made, orders cannot be filled, payments cannot be received. So all this raises a new question. Maybe this is all about power? Intelligence sources say that there is unrest in the upper echelons of political power in China. Could it be that Xi Jinping is afraid of losing power, so he is locking down his authority by using these draconian measures? Is he afraid of a revolt by the people of China because of the increasingly harsh conditions under which they are forced to live? Is he afraid that other members of the CCP will stage a coup because they are angry that he has taken too much power for himself and away from them and made them secondary in the government? Xi Jinping has amassed more personal authority than any leader in China in decades. But over the last year, political struggles among the CCP elite have come close to a boiling point. This hasn't made the general news, but intelligence sources have revealed that there is much going on beneath the surface that is not reported in our mainstream press. What a surprise. She has enemies at home and abroad, and they are all highly motivated to ensure that the Chinese leader does not have an affirmation of his political power by having an unprecedented third term. The election will happen later this year, probably in November, and its outcome will determine China's future for a long time. President Xi made it his mission to promote prosperity throughout China, and it is well known that under his presidency, China has become a world power to reckon with. But prosperity at home has not happened. While the government has spread its influence around the world, the Chinese people are poor. The minimum wage in China is $389.19 a month. Women get less than men. Those who earn up to $740 a month are considered middle class. A middle class resident in Beijing might make about $1,766 a month or $21,192 a year. But on his watch, China has seen massive floods, loss of harvests, the pandemic, an increasingly restive population, and huge economic upheavals as a result of bad policy decisions. That last bit is my opinion, and you may want to take it with a grain of salt because it comes from a confirmed capitalist and a supporter of democracy. Nevertheless, that's my opinion. I think some of his policy decisions have been awful, and they have hurt the Chinese people very badly. But the bottom line is that China's future depends on whether Xi Jinping will be able to keep his ego and his dreams of world power from destroying his country, as many tyrants before him have done. You know, the United States is facing huge problems of its own. And I'm going to talk about them right after the break. 
It's not just about politics, although that's a pretty big part of it. It's more than that. It has to do with our ethics, our values as Americans, and what we want our nation to be as we go forward. I'm Alana Friedman, filling in for Malcolm Out Loud, my colleague and my friend. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome back to the Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in today for Malcolm Out Loud. Now, before the break, we were talking about how difficult the Chinese government is making it for the Chinese people, who are denied even the basic freedoms in life that we used to take for granted freedom of movement, and freedom of speech. Then COVID came along, thanks to the CCP, and we began to lose both very quickly. When social media, Facebook, Twitter, and others, which were supposed to be open forums for people who could share their thoughts and opinions, when they began to censor what we could say on their pages, when they decided what speech was appropriate, and what was hate speech, or to say it more kindly, but with no less malice, misinformation. And they began to delete your posts because they didn't approve of them. 
than the free speech that our founding fathers guaranteed to us two and a half centuries ago, then we are losing the freedom to express ourselves as promised in the First Amendment. And this is a huge deal because our entire American idea, the basic framework upon which our government was founded, is based on the free exchange of ideas. Americans have died for this freedom. But today, this is all being challenged by a small group of Americans who have appointed themselves to be judge and jury over what we can say and what we should think. And if they don't like what you say, what you write, what your opinions are, then they will delete your posts and cancel your presence on their website. This isn't only frustrating for people who think their opinion should matter, but it is a loss of some important voices because among the people who are canceled are some whose voices we need to hear, even if we don't like what they have to say. That's called free speech, and to lose it is a loss for all of us, and it's a blow to the footings of our national values. So then, in the middle of all this, a bit of hope sprung up from a surprising quarter, from a man who is always full of surprises. Elon Musk announced in bits and pieces that he was interested in buying Twitter in order to make it a platform for free speech. Wow. Who would have thought that the richest man in the world would even be interested in free speech? He has been able to say and do just about anything he wants without worrying about being canceled. Elon Musk has 83 million followers on Twitter. So why does he care? Well, in a recent tweet, he said this, a social media platform's policies are good if the most extreme 10% on the left and right are equally unhappy, unquote. That's a pretty good way of looking at it. And he also tweeted this, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Well, he's certainly right about that. And then the next day he tweeted, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, Failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. His message is right on target. The woke Americans who support limiting free speech to what they are willing to accept don't understand America at all. This isn't surprising considering how many woke educators think it's all right to rewrite history reject the concept of competition, although that is the reality of life in the real world, and that it's okay to teach kindergartners that they can change their gender if they want and then help them to do it without even the knowledge of their parents. It is the larger demographic in America that rejects these ideas and supports the concept of free speech, who I think represent the majority of America and who agree with Musk about Twitter. Let's go back now and take a look at Elon Musk. He built Tesla with its groundbreaking electric cars and integrated renewable energy solutions for home and business. And he built Starlink that connects the world with its constellation of mass-produced low Earth orbiting satellites known as LEO. And he built SpaceX 
that captured space exploration for the private sector. SpaceX was a particularly timely effort since the Biden administration seems to be more interested in addressing space junk and climate change than expanding space exploration and science. But there seems to be no end to Elon Musk's interest in using new technology to improve life right here on Earth. He's now going from outer space to underground by launching a new company called The Boring Company. No, it's not a boring company at all, far from it. The word boring refers to drilling, boring. And his new project, The Boring Company, wants to build a network of underground tunnels beneath large cities to transport people and cargo around town. Think how much easier it would be to live in cities where the congestion of surface traffic is gone because of a transport system that is completely underground. And I'm not talking about the subways, which are already obsolete. This is a new concept and a brilliant one. The Boring Company says its ultimate aim is to eliminate what they call soul-destroying traffic with vast networks of tunnels. The company is planning what they call Loop, a system that will transport passengers through high-speed tunnels and says it has recently won an approval for a 29-mile tunnel network connecting 51 stations under Las Vegas. Eventually, the company plans to be able to transport 57,000 passengers per hour at speeds of up to 50 miles an hour. I want to hear more about the boring company plans. It's an exciting project and one, if successful, that could solve a whole lot of big city problems underground. You know, I once had a colleague who was trying to get the financing to build such tunnels underground to go across country at high speed and in a matter of hours instead of days. But the technology that is available today just wasn't 20 years ago, so the project never got off the ground, or should we say under the ground. Elon Musk's Boring Company has already raised $675 million to push his project forward. And he recently announced that it had raised additional funds that valued the firm at $5.675 billion. Let's face it, the man is brilliant. Nearly everything he touches turns to gold. No wonder he is the richest man in the world. Now, and here's my point. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO has offered to acquire Twitter for $43 billion. But that wasn't his first move. First, he bought 9.2% of Twitter's stocks, which were worth, when he bought them, $2.9 billion. That didn't last long because when the word got out, that stock soared 22% in early morning trading and was suddenly worth 35 billion dollars. Musk didn't disclose his purpose for the purchase, nor did he explain what he intended to do next, not at the beginning. But little by little, his plans are coming out. He has been an outspoken critic of Twitter for some time, and last month he said he was giving thought to creating a new media platform. Now, if he did that, he would join a group of high-profile people, including President Donald Trump, who thought that the best way to combat Twitter's censorship would be to provide competition.
Trump, who was banned from Twitter since January 2021, launched his own social network, which he called Truth Social. That was in February. It was part of the Trump Media and Technology Group. But Elon Musk seems to have thought better of that approach. His approach is different. Instead, after becoming the largest shareholder in Twitter and apparently considering his options, he made an offer to buy the company outright. He is, after all, the richest man in the world, so he offered to buy Twitter for $43 billion. The board of directors tried to reject this, and they came up with what they call a poison pill approach. The poison pill is also known as a shareholder rights plan. The idea is this. If they dilute Musk's shares by giving everyone else more shares, it will make it harder for Musk to buy Twitter. I won't go into the details of that process. It's complicated, and as I said before, it's not in my area of expertise. Suffice it to say, they are trying to stop a takeover that would no doubt cost them their highly lucrative jobs. Let's talk for a moment about the board's responsibilities. Elon Musk said this, Taking Twitter private at $54 per 20 a share, which is what he has suggested, should be up to the shareholders, not the board. And he's right, of course. Did you know that directors for a public company have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders? That means that they have a duty to manage the company or companies over which they are appointed solely in the interest of the shareholders. So a director must avoid any and all conflicts between their role in managing the company and their personal interests. Twitter is a public company and the board of directors has this fiduciary responsibility to do whatever is in the best interest of its shareholders. And so the actions that the directors of Twitter take now should come under close scrutiny. Is preventing Elon Musk from buying Twitter, is that what is best for the shareholders or only for the directors? But getting back to Musk, buying the largest share of stock in Twitter turned out to be not enough for him to achieve his goal. That's strange because of all the major social media companies, Twitter did the worst last year. While Google had $257 billion in revenues and Facebook had $117 billion, Twitter only had $5 billion in revenues last year. So getting back to Musk's effort to buy the entire company, he announced that he had secured $46.5 billion in financing to fund his takeover efforts. That was according to a regulatory filing, so it was hardly a secret. And according to the latest news, he is also considering to make an offer to buy up stock from current shareholders at $54.20 per share in order to grow his stake in Twitter. This is a work in progress, and it looks like it is going to play out like a soap opera, with the power struggle between a major social media company and the richest and maybe the smartest man in the world. We'll have to wait and see what happens next. Elon Musk is full of surprises, and he usually wins. So what is the takeaway from all this? 
if Elon Musk is true to his word, and if he wins his battle to take over Twitter, he has said that he may take it private and make it a platform for free speech. This is a very big platform. And if Musk is true to his word, and, and if his past experience in the world of entrepreneurship is reflected in this new venture, we can hope to see a platform which is not only successful, but which also provides a true free speech window for Americans and others that is true to the principles set down in our Constitution, as well as a successful entrepreneurial venture in the true spirit of our country. Now, here's just one more story I want to share with you that may bring a bit more hope to you today. We all know that what Biden and his Democrats have done over this past year, their weakness in the face of enemy action against our allies, inaction when action was required, inaction that cost the lives of many of our allies, and there are many Democrats now who will no longer be shoo-ins for returning to Congress because of this. So here's the story. Amazingly, some of these Democrats are recognizing their vulnerability at the polls and are breaking with the administration on the issue of immigration. President Biden's insistence on reversing Title II, which restricts entry into the U.S. through the southern border, is causing many Democrats a great deal of anxiety. By reversing Title 42, which President Donald Trump put in place to help secure the border from the tidal wave of illegal immigrants, Biden will be opening the floodgates to hundreds of thousands more. Biden has consistently, since the first day in office, overturned Trump-era efforts to control the flow of illegals into the country. But in his first year, we had over 2 million illegal immigrants pour into our southern states and then, incredibly, because it defies not only existing immigration laws, but because it puts Americans, real legal Americans, at risk by flying these illegal immigrants to cities all around the country in the dead of night without notifying the state governments that they are coming. The result of this illegal and immoral activity by our federal government is that we do not know where these people are now. What we do know is that crime is spiking all around the country, and we don't even know who some of these people are. Trump put another program in place called Remain in Mexico, which required illegal immigrants to stay in Mexico until and if their applications for asylum were approved. Today, that policy is gone, and Border Patrol agents are overwhelmed and have called this situation a crisis, which is a term the Biden administration refuses to use. Maybe if they did the minimum and actually saw what was going on along the southern border, of course, that would mean actually visiting the border, which neither our president nor our vice president have seen it necessary to do. Maybe if they did that and they saw what was going on, our policy might be different. I suspect that they have decided that if they visited the border, they might change their mind. Or maybe they just don't care enough. And the politics of it is more important than actually saving lives 
or treating desperate people humanely. And by the way, this tsunami of people coming across our border are also the source of a huge spike of illegal drugs, including fentanyl, which is killing Americans in record numbers. Between April 2019 and April 2021, the number of deaths from illegal fentanyl doubled and the numbers continue to go up. An unregulated southern border is killing Americans at an unprecedented and frankly totally unacceptable rate. But it can only hope to be addressed successfully if our border is secure. But the president refuses to reconsider. This attitude, wherever it comes from, is so insane that Democrats facing primaries and then Republicans in November are running scared because they think that this issue will ensure that the Republicans win a huge victory in November. If the president reverses Title 42, it will ensure that the floodgates will open and the Democrats will lose at the ballot box. To put it bluntly, Americans, even Democrats, are fed up with this total disregard for both law and their personal welfare. Even Democrats are pushing Biden to begin reversing his decisions regarding the border and are beginning to call for more border security, not less. Well, my friends, this hour has flown by and we've run out of time. Thank you for spending it with me. I've enjoyed, as I always do, filling in for Malcolm. It is an honor, as it always is, to be a guest host on his show. I'm Alana Friedman. 